Welcome to More to Come, PW Comic World's weekly podcast on comics and graphic novel publishing. I'm Calvin Reed, senior senior news editor of Publishers Weekly and co-editor of PW Comics World. Check us out online at publishersweekly.com slash comics. So um, I'm, once again, we were podcasting from uh, the Mocha Arts Fest, uh, the annual uh, uh, festival of independent comics publishing. And we're here in uh, on the west side of Manhattan. And I have the great pleasure of, of talking to Benji Molinas. Uh, excuse me. Benji Melendez hey. and Julian Vallach. And they are the authors of this really amazing no, 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 no. new not to worry we we're, we we roll with it on this podcast uh an amazing new uh work of graphic nonfiction ghetto brothers warrior to peacemaker um that's all wrong. that's a that's, some technical issue it's a binge cell phone but we're not gonna worry about it um uh really an amazing account of uh, new york city from another time uh published by uh nbm uh, thanks so much uh, for being on More to Come. Uh, this, when I when this book came across my desk, I just sort of stopped me cold. It really is really a, 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 an artifact from another time That's in New York right. City. So, uh, tell us about the book. Tell us about your life, really, because that's what this book is. Well, it's interesting. When I moved to the Bronx after the assassination of Kennedy, mm-hmm. when I moved at that time, the South Bronx was a beautiful place. Yes. It was beautiful. But then I saw from 1970 down mm-hmm. the destruction of the Bronx, mm-hmm. the burning of the Bronx. Mm-hmm. Now, the Bronx after, in the 70s looked like Germany after the war. Mm-hmm. Yes. And it, it was not done by bombs. It was not done by tanks. It was done by the people. It was done by the landlords because they wanted their insurance. So yes. they put the buildings mm-hmm. up. Mm-hmm. And at that time, the cops didn't even want to go around the area. So now the gangs started to spring up. Yes. So there were gangs in every interval in the Bronx, mm-hmm. every avenue. When I moved to the Bronx at that, that, at that time, wherever community you lived in, there was a gang you were forced to join. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I said, I didn't want to join those gangs because I found out later on that the leaders, if you joined them, you will have to go by what they say. Yeah. This is part of the initiation. You got to fight two or three guys after that. Uh, I want you to stab this guy, rob this man, murder this right. person. And that wasn't me. I was a brother that way. Mm-hmm. Since I had a lot of friends and I was a friendly person, I was amicable, mm-hmm. I started my own club. The Ghetto Brothers. Mm-hmm. My own rules, my own regulations. But then, <coughs> two or three years went by, I literally had the Ghetto Brothers in every borough. Mm-hmm. In the Bronx alone, I had 2,000 guys. Wow. So I had an army. So I had Ghetto Brothers in uh, Connecticut, Chicago, Puerto Rico, New Jersey. So when I had a meeting with just the leaders, it looked like a gang itself. Yeah. So then I wanted to ch- uh, change the platform of the Ghetto Brothers. We were going to transfer ourselves from a gang to an organization. Because I thought of the things that my father taught me. Be good to people. Do good to people. I never taught you to do wrong. And bear, my parents didn't know I was in a gang. So I was thinking, I have an army. And I'm seeing all these murders and killings, rapists, and hurting of our people. I said, why don't I use this army to do something good? Because that's really what the story is about. about yes. How you forged a really uh, a peace treaty. You hit it. Among you hit the it. That's warring right. gangs of the Bronx. In that's the, right. Yeah, What's this, the early 1970s? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's really an amazing story. But also your family story 
is very interesting too. Yes, Puerto Ricans arriving in New York looking for a better life, and, and we were secret Jews. Yes, yeah. I mean, it's really. I didn't know. I didn't yeah. want to tell anybody that. I, I was, remember the early parts of the book. You talk about your parents, sort of very secretly. Yes, yes, and, yes. Yeah. In Spanish so is called about this. Maranos. Uh-huh. Now Maranos were the product of 1492 when the king of Spain and, and the queen Isabella threw the Jews out of Spain. So you had a choice. Either you become a Catholic or leave Spain. If you become a Catholic and you and we find out that you practice Judaism secretly, you're going to go to the Inquisition. So we were Catholics in the outside, but we practiced Judaism at home. It's amazing. I mean, this continued uh, yes, over yes. years and years. And that's and, right. I mean, really amazing. My father uh, said, don't tell anybody who you are. You're Puerto Rican. Even in the... Even in their arrival in America, yes, in the Bronx. Yes, 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 yes. Really you an know, incredible story. So these things, but my friends, they found me <clears throat> to be different. Mm-hmm. The way I acted, my movement, everything about me. They used to call me the preacher because <laughs> I had a habit of having a backpack with the Bible. Uh-huh. I had a Torah there. Uh-huh. Say, you, why you always carry that? Oh, this is my instruction book. They didn't realize that I was really into it. You know what I mean? Yeah. But the fact is, that a lot of ghetto brothers survived all this as opposed to other gangs under their leadership that they lost many of their members in, in jail, six feet under the ground. So my brother the other day just said to me, you know, Benjamin's thinking about the ghetto brothers was a fun group to be with. We were a fun group to be with. And everything was based on music. Uh-huh. Everything we did, we, our message, if, if, you, if you couldn't catch the, the message verbally, we put it to songs. And you know how people would go of course, to songs. And my brother Victor yeah. said, when you see people doing this, they like it. So the message is coming through. So the Ghetto Brothers have done great things. We cleaned the community. We took out the drugs. We took out the drug pushers. Mm-hmm. The prostitutes, all through diplomacy. We never threatened them. All through uh-huh. diplomacy. So when the gang saw that, little by little, some of them started to join our gangs. After the murder of my friend Black Benji, uh-huh. The first reaction of a leader is revenge. I said, no. I send them out to peace. This is the best time to bring all the gangs together. Who would have done something like that? To bring the gangs together. And then I was young at the time. It's like I was thinking ahead. Sure. Because sure. what was the natural reaction? Violence. So what was yeah. I thinking? What would be the consequences if I did violence? Murders. Killings. Cops would have been hurt. Children would have been killed. I said, I don't want that. I want us to live together. I don't want martyrs. I want people to live it's, together. It's really an amazing story. Um, now what I want to ask, and I want to bring in yeah, Julian into this, um, the, the artist actually on this, Pauline uh, Hollering, um, how did this become a book project? How did it turn into, and not only just a book project, but a, a work of graphic nonfiction to go. bring it to comics? So I'd love to hear more about that as well. So basically, my background is photojournalism, mm-hmm. and I um, did a serious... Um, that was uh, shown at the German consulate on Jewish diversity. And someone uh, told me, George Schloss, actually, that yes. everything goes back to him, basically. Uh, he told a friend of his about Benji. There was a story in Tablet magazine. And I felt like, wow, you know, Puerto Rican Jew, you know, from the gangs. I felt like I have to meet this guy. So um, I reached out to him. And we did a photo shoot. Actually, the, the picture that, you know, ended up for the exhibition, and that's mm-hmm. at the end of the book. So it's, and I wanted to tell in the in one photograph, his story. So it's a picture of Benji holding an old photograph of himself mm. from the gang times, yes, and he's yes. wrapped in a, um, a talit, a, yeah. tor- uh, um, a prayer shawl. It's a great photograph. And you know what? 
the two of us, we hit it off. Uh, Looking we good, became, man, back in those yeah. days. Yeah, good now, but, you know, <laughs> it was skinnier in those days. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> so Benji and I became friends, you know, we, yeah. we, uh, we became friends, and I thought it's such a shame. So we, I did I did a story for the Swiss magazine on him, like, you know, magazine story, like three, four pages. But I thought, like, it's such a powerful story. You know, he's such a nice guy, and he doesn't really get the credit he deserves. Because, you know, the story yeah. that Paul Herc, you know, Cool Herc was in the Kofong Cats, you know, uh, a gang that Benji we was in. the same club. Yeah. Oh, okay. Africa Bambata, he was at the sure. truth. I mean, you know, it's speculation if, you know, hip-hop could have had merged without the gang. Nobody knows. Yeah. But, I mean, I think this connection is there somehow. It's a great story. And, you know, this guy, he, he's living here, you know. He, a I lot know. of people cashed in, like, a lot with his story. And if I listen, I want to tell And story I didn't even know this. I mean, I, I saw this book and it mm. sto- I just stopped cold. I said, I've got to know more about yeah. this book. You know what I think I find fascinating? And I, I just see it in my mind. This has to be seen in the movie. Well, this has got to be in the next movie. Step. I think, <laughs> believe me, I, I think this is uh, that's where it's headed. That's right. But but but, but tell yeah. me more about the book project. So basically, yes. I, I wanted to tell a story, um, and I wanted to tell a story in a way that people can, you know, not like a three hundred page like biography mm-hmm. that nobody's reading. Yeah. And Claudia and I we work together. I know we, she's from Germany, like me. I mean, you can hear it from my accent. I'm from <laughs> Germany. I can't hide this. Um, maybe what I should also say as a personal background you know, my parents were colombian immigrants to germany they had to leave uh-huh. it's a complicated family story but in a way a nice i identified with immigration yeah with, yeah i mean like you know i'm jewish colombian growing up in germany yeah. you know, Puerto <laughs> yeah, i mean yeah. there was like some personal connection between benji and me we became friends and i really wanted to tell his story in a way that people would read and also i wanted to read young people because you know sure. we speak about the gangs it's not a thing of the past if you look chicago has mm. violence problems i mean sure it's not know. something this is a it's, real, a, it's a positive a story world. yeah and i wanted to tell it in a way that it comes from the source and not like a third person an outsider telling the story so i spoke with benji i spoke with other people for the 40th anniversary um i organized a reunion so i had yeah. benji mm-hmm. calling all his old buddies up yeah. and we had a reunion mm-hmm. in the bronx and so after the reunion um in the bronx um river art center people came to me with their stories so a lot of times i could also cross-reference verify mm-hmm. stories and then actually, I mean, I wouldn't say the book wrote itself because it's still like, you know, three <laughs> years of work. work yeah. But, um, but I got a lot of information. And it, what, you know, the thing is, you don't find the story in any history books. No, I and, mean, and that's, that's what's the sad so thing, amazing you know? about this yeah. book. People think about the Bronx in the seventies, and it's all like the negative, you know. And if you think about the movie The Warriors, at least in part, I believe, is based on this gang cruise mm-hmm. from 1971. But it's the whole exploitation, you know, sure. the savages of the Bronx, and so on. Here we see, like, listen. Everybody left the kids in the Bronx alone. They only had themselves. I mean, there was Rita Fetcher, you know, a teacher who helped mm-hmm. them. But basically, they were left alone and they created peace from within. Yeah. So it's not like some, you know, police power or something. But yeah. the kids said, you know what? It has to stop and we create something and positive. And we're going to stop. Yeah. It's really amazing. Yeah. So how did the package get to publication? <laughs> so it's, that was I mean, a, it's one it's, thing to write a book. <laughs> And to have this yeah. notion, but you've got to convert no, it's a it, publisher it, that this it, is worth it was doing. A, it was a long journey. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was hustling. First of all, I had to find someone to do it with right. me. And mm-hmm. I connected with Claudia. Um, Claudia did a book with me probably like 15 years ago. I did like a poetry book mm-hmm. um, that she illustrated. But I she see. never had done like a long graphic novel. And I told her, listen, I have this great story. I want to do it. I don't know if we even earn a dime, but I'm willing to put my own money in it and self-publish if we don't find anyone. But I think it's a great story. And she said, listen, let's try it. So we were fortunate because I really pushed this. Pro- we had like some exhibitions in New York and we were uh-huh. really hustling, you know. Yes. Um, but the word got out. And so uh-huh. we got an agent from Paris contacting me via social media. Sure. And, and I think I know the agent too. Nicholas. Uh, Nicholas Grivel. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Great and, guy. And uh, I wasn't even sure if he's real because, you know, get like a random Facebook <laughs> message. But he was in New York actually for Mocha Fest like 
three years ago. Uh-huh. And we met and I said, listen, I have nothing to lose. Right now, you know, we are halfway through the book. We have nobody. And he managed, it got, it came out in uh, last August in France already. So mm-hmm. he managed to get like a French publisher who was Great. willing to take it on. It came out in Germany last month. It's, cu- it's coming out in May here in, in the May. US. So it will be Brazilian edition this year and the Spanish Fabulous. edition. Fabulous. So hopefully, you know, that some money will also come and yeah, we all yeah. you know, benefit from it. But right now, you know, it's, it's still hustling. You know, it's not yeah. a, you know, graphic novels is not a big business. Yeah, right. You're not getting rich, but, but you know what? You're making the world a richer place. Yes. Yeah. This is a great And it's story. a labor of love. It really yeah. is. And I'm very happy that because I work with Benji on every page. I mean, uh, really, every time Claudia did an illustration, we sat together, yeah, yeah, we went yeah, over yeah. it. And sometimes I have to admit, I was driving her crazy because she said, you know, I just spoke with Benji, but we have to change this. Like, I'm just done with the page, you know. <laughs> and the amazing thing, you know, she's in Hamburg. So basically, mm-hmm. it was all like via Skype, yeah. via phone. We, I mean, this would have not been able like 10 years ago. Yeah. You know, it's amazing yeah. that we could do this. We had um, people in the Bronx were really supportive of it. I mean, there's Joe Conzo, who, you know, arranged like some of his old photo archive for mm-hmm. us. He got us a Bambata quote that we have uh, at the back of the book. Oh, um, there is, you know, Tools of War. It's like a grassroots oh, yeah. organization that's promoting, you know, grassroots mm-hmm. hip-hop. Um, Fable. So, you know, we, we were able really to, like, a lot of people were supportive because, I said, listen, it's our story and it's told from our way. You know, even yes. if I wrote it as, like, you know, a German guy in New York, uh, it really is, like, very authentic. And I wanted Claudia to have, like, this witty 1970s feeling. Um, she's got a very distinctive visual style. It yeah. really, really brings yeah. you in. And I think it was a little bit for American publishers harder because it's very European the way yeah. it looks, you know. But I think it's it turned out a great book. Um, and we have what is also important at the end of the book, a documentary part. We secured some rights, you know, for, mm. from old photographs so that people could really see, you know, it's not just made up. I mean, here like pictures, yes. here the stories. And if you there's literature in that people are interested to like dive more into it, they can find other books that have some bits of the story here and there, mm-hmm. but the first one, it's the story in one piece. No, this is, this is really exciting. So how do you feel? I mean, your, you, I you, feel your story is, is in a form now. I was so happy when you first <laughs> told me. And which I had it in my mind since the beginning. I said, I can see this in a comic book form. And he told me one day, he called me, you know, I have an idea. And he told me the same thing. I said, oh, my goodness. <laughs> so it was connected yeah. there. Yeah. In fact, there's a book that just came out. Uh, rap and, and hip-hop culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, printed in Oxford University. Oh. They got a good chapter on the Ghetto Brothers there. Okay. And that's the thing. You find a lot of... I mean, Jeff Chang's book, you know, is like yeah. one example. You sure. find a lot of... I mean, the Ghetto Brothers, always I mentioned as like a yeah. side thing, but here it's like there's a, it's the main thing. And, you know, Jeff Chang right. even what you know, volunteered yeah, to yes, write a preface, uh, sure, which hopefully will give us also yeah. like some uh, yeah. some credit. No, but it's, it's the first time really the Ghetto Brothers in the center of the story. I mean, you have a little bit of Herc here, sure. the Bambata there, but yeah. they're not... It's, it's about Benji and the Ghetto Brothers. Well, uh, obviously, it's a uh, long overdue. Yeah. Uh, it's a really wonderful book. I'm glad Thank I had a chance to talk you. to you, you so here. Much. How's it feel being a, you know, a, a comic book star here fantastic. at MoCA? I feel happy. I see, people, I see you talking to people, yeah. signing autographs. Yes, yes, well, yes. Well, uh, much deserved. Thank you so much. So, look, uh, actually, uh, thank you so much for being on More to Come. Thank it's you. a pleasure. And, you know, I think that this is just the beginning of this project. Oh, yeah. Maybe morphing into That's other right. new projects. That's huh? right. That's All right. We hope so. We All hope right. So. That's anyway, great. well, thank you much for being thank on More you. to Come, the both of you. Thank you. Okay. Uh, it's Heidi McDonald, live at Mocha Fest 2015. And I am here with uh, at the Conundrum Press Table with Kat Verhoeven, uh, whose book, Tower Kind, has just come out. Uh, Kat, what is, who is, what is Tower Kind? 
Powerkind is the story of a bunch of kids in St. Jamestown, Toronto, which is one of the most densely populated neighborhoods in North America. And I lived there for a while, and I would always be observing the kids there, so I wanted to make a story about them. But I also enjoy supernatural elements and a little bit of science fiction, so there's some of that in there, but it's subtle, and it's not like the entire story. The story is more about the kids interacting with one another. Right, yeah. I, start, I started to read the book, and it's, it is it is definitely this kind of slice of life. It's kind of, I wouldn't call it punk kids. I wouldn't, it's very... Yeah, it's very, very of the of the moment in a way, I guess. I felt it was very fresh. So. They might grow up to be punk kids, yeah. but they're pretty young. They're all, like, under 11. Yeah, so they're, they're discovering the world. Um, now, you had an unusual distribution model for this comic. Tell me about, tell me about how, how you first uh, sold it or put it out there. Well, it started in May 2013, and I was doing a monthly subscription comic. So I would go around to conventions and get people to sign up and buy the entire series, which wasn't even complete at the time, and then every month I would mail it to them, and I had people who were subscribed as far away as Australia, uh, but then they let me do like a every two months one. Right. Um, Anyhow, that was kind of fun because I'd get to connect with people more and leave them little notes, and I'd write little sort of uh, personal stories in the back of each monthly issue. Mm-hmm. Wow. Now, when you say you mailed it, it was a physical copy, right? You a physical copy. physical copies. What was the format of the books that you're sending out? Um, pretty similar to the collection. It was a quarter-letter, 12-page issue. I mean, the, the collection is obviously all 160 right, pages. Right. Uh, but then it would just be like mailed in a tiny envelope, and sometimes there'd be a note if I had time. Right, right. Um, wow, that's that's fascinating. Now, did this enable you, like, to, um, like, fund it a little? I mean, was I mean, I don't, you know, I don't know what kind of numbers you want to talk, but I mean, did this, you know, little bit of money that you were getting, or more money that you were getting from subscriptions, did this kind of enable you to continue the story? Uh, uh, it's probably actually less money to do it this way because. Um, I hadn't done anything like this before, and I didn't really factor in mail costs when I figured out my my subscription price. And so, if you actually subscribed like at TCAF when I launched it, you would be paying less than if you were subscribing at the next show because I'm like, oh wow, this is way too expensive. <laughs> so it did actually go up in price at one point. Right. So you learned as you went. So would you recommend this method, or do you think it was a good method? I think it's really fun. Like it. It's a more community-oriented method in a way, I think, so that was kind of why I wanted to do it, and I am hoping to do it again with the next comic I do, but quarterly instead of monthly. Right. Uh, and I think it's it's fun for somebody who's starting out from zines and maybe doing their first or second mini to do it as an experiment. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. I would recommend it. Would you... Now, do you do other comics by other more uh, traditional means, like on Tumblr or so on? Yeah, I... I typically don't do any two comics the same way when I'm, uh, I guess, putting them out there for people to experience. So I have a webcomic that's been going for a couple of years, then I do minis that are only available at conventions, then I do like the subscription comic, and now I have the published comic, so that's with um, Conundrum Press. So it kind of winds up being a different thing every time. Right, right. Now, is there one, like, like um, well, I mean, why do so many different methods? Why do so many different ways of doing things? Just to keep yourself interested, or? To keep myself interested, but also, like, I see somebody doing something like, oh, I haven't thought of doing something that way, I'll try it out. So I always want to try different things and experiment and keep myself from getting bored. 
So it's nice to keep flexing those creative muscles and right. different production methods as what, well. What is the webcomic that you're doing currently? That is Meat and Bone, which is a story about, it's a cert, sort of slice of life about eating disorders and polyamory and friendships. And there's a lot of like uh, gender exploration and um, body issue stuff tied into that. Right. Is that one published at all? or? Uh, no, I am not even looking at publishing it yet. Maybe when it's it's done, I'll start looking at that. But right now, it's sort of just meandering along online. Yeah. Wow, that sounds great. Meat and Bone, right? Uh, check it out. What is the website for that? It's uh, meatandbonecomic.com. Okay. All Very right. easy. Well, check that out as soon as uh, as soon as you get a chance. Uh, so loud in here. I hope this comes out. So <laughs> she said wistfully. Um, how do you like Mocha? Have you been to Mocha before? Uh, no, this is my first time in Mocha. This is uh, my second time in New York. It's pretty awesome. It's like extra stories, like more stories of comics, more levels yeah. to explore than most of the conventions I do, which are like one or two max. Right, right. Yeah, it's a corner. It's a lot. It's a, like, you know, I'm busting to try to find all the good stuff before it closes, you know? Um, so there's a lot of really great comics here. Do you look at other cartoonists? I mean, who is your cartooning idol? Who is? Who do you want to be when you... Uh... I, I go through phases. Like, Meredith Grant is really inspiring, and I think uh, Meat and Bone and Optimus, Optimus Pie are kind of in the same vein, but not that similar. Chester um, Brown really inspires me. Like, I also flip flop between doing sort of Slice of Life stories, supernatural stories, personal stories, art comics. Uh, Kevin Chapowski is a huge inspiration to me. I love all of his comics. And it's a really big range. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's so much great stuff coming out. I, I'm fascinated also just to see how things... Um I don't know what the different schools are. I don't think there are schools. I mean, Conundrum is a wonderful publisher because they put out a lot of really strong comics that have really great stories and wonderful styles and, you know, very inspiring stuff, I think. so. Yeah, and I'm really looking forward to Moose coming out from Conundrum, which was a, an oily comic that I never finished, so I'm going to... Right. Oh, so this is another book? What is Moose about? Uh, well, I only read, like, a couple chapters in the middle when it was uh, coming out from Oily. So I know it's about um, the main character, Moose, who I think doesn't like fit in with their surroundings and gets bullied a lot. But I don't really know what else is happening. Ah, okay. I just like the writing style, right, so I right, want to finish right. it. Right. Who was it by again? Um, well, it's, by, it's coming up from Canuck. Right. And the, uh, the artist behind it is uh, Max Deradigas. Oh, Max, De Max Deradigas. Yes, he is. Uh, I met him in uh, France, I think. He is a, uh, I believe he's uh, European. I believe so. Anyway, I'm going to sound like an idiot when people listen to this. So, uh, but he's really great. That I do know. So, yep. Well, lots of good comics here. Uh, Tower Kind, that is on sale now. Yep, it's it's technically officially launching for TCAP, but we have it at MoCA. Right, and let me tell you, it's a really uh, attractive package. It's a small book. It's kind of like the size, smaller than a CD, really, with these beautiful French flaps, which Kat is showing me. I'm very proud of them. And, uh, yes, they are. They, the production values on this book, uh, you will not want to take it off your shelf. Uh, you will want to leave it there proudly after you read it. So, anyway, but Kat, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us, and good luck. Thanks for talking to me. It was a pleasure. Welcome to More to Come, PW Comic World's weekly podcast on comics and graphic novel publishing. I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor at Publishers Weekly and Co-Editor of PW Comics World. Check us out online at publishersweekly.com slash comics. Well, we're, uh, we're podcasting this week from the Mocha Arts Festival 2015, the uh, annual uh, independent comics festival uh, these days organized by the Society of Illustrators. And we are also podcasting from... 
Uh, it's new, although it won't be here for very long. It's new uh, uh, exhibition venue, uh, 548 Center, and events building on the west side of Manhattan on West 22nd Street. So we've, it's gone from a one-floor uh, show uh, at the historic uh, Lexington Armory to a multi-floor show at this building. But it's been an interesting week. It's really been good traffic. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit with, uh, with Charles Brownstein, the executive director of the Comic Book Legal Defense Fund. And uh, we'll ask him about this and some other things. Hi, Charles. Thanks for being on More to Come. Hey, Calvin. Thanks for making time for me. So uh, what do you think of this new uh, multi-level space, uh, even though we've just found out that even though it's, it's been, I think it's been a great uh, sure. switch of, change of venue, uh, it's not going to be here uh, much longer because of the unique circumstances of Manhattan real estate. Sure, <laughs> sure. Well, you know, Mel Miller and all of her team at Society of Illustrators are very hardworking, and they have a great deal of passion for this, this space in comics creativity, and so... I think that the venue this year has been great. I mean, right now we're standing in the gallery mm -hmm. space looking at framed original comic art. You know, a really it, pristine space. I mean, it really is a gallery space. Yeah, set it's up really for, a yeah. gallery space. It's right mm -hmm. off the High Line. It's in the heart of the yes. Chelsea mm -hmm. Arts District. It's a drag. It's not going to be here next year. Mm -hmm. But if it were any other management group, I'd be worried. I'm not yeah. worried about yeah. Enel's management group because they work really hard. They know how to put together a first-rate exhibition, and I have every faith that they're going to put together a first-rate exhibition wherever they are next year. I just know that Renell wanted to relax a little bit and yeah, just, well, you know, start, you know, okay, we figured out the venue, and now let's redo it, but she'll figure it out. Yeah. She's, she's really smart and really motivated, and she's got a great team behind her. Yeah, I mean, this has been a great uh, marriage of institutions. Uh, 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 since the Society of Illustrators has taken on uh, the Museum of Comic and Cartoon Art, uh, I just see new life in the show. Obviously, the Society of Illustrators has a, a lot of resources, sure. one of which is Anel. Yeah. <laughs> She's a resource in and of herself, but they've, got, they've also had financial resources that they can do more with the show. And it's been a big change. I think the show's been reborn. Well, I think, I think that's right, and I think that when you talk about the Society of Illustrators, you're speaking about a venerable institution that goes back, mm. you know, 100 years where... Yeah. It, its DNA is people like Rockwell and Lynn Ward and all yes, of the yes. great illustrators. And it's, I think, really important to recognize that the leadership of Society of Illustrators is looking at what's happening in comics right now and saying, this is the next generation. Absolutely. Now, obviously, there were cultural times where comics were the second-tier kind of medium where mm -hmm. comics were looked down upon. Those days are over, yeah. and I think that... For society, it's this is the future of illustration. And I think for a lot of the people in this room, society is a place that they can be a part of and make their mark. And for, I think, a lot of people here that may not be of economic maturity where it makes sense to take out the membership, because it's not, it's not cheap. Yeah. Um, it is a thing where they believe in this space, and they're going to have a home for you either way. And it's a, it's a great potential marriage. And I think they are bringing a level of professionalism and care to this realm of comics alongside a history that matters yeah. that will help carry everybody you know into the future in a positive way yeah i mean we were, we're standing right now here in this is this the, uh, the uh, part of this is the uh well, at the society's actual headquarters on the upper east side they're having a, they're having an alt comics weekly show yep. uh really uh just 
Classic work from the 60s, from the 70s. Braining, Linda Barry, you know. And right now, I think what the, the, we're going to show, there's um, uh, Aline Kaminsky-Quam. There's an, an exhibition of her work here. Uh, it's just bringing together this world, bringing these two people, which really the Society of Illustrators always saw as part of their constituency anyway. Sure, sure. Well, you know, Calvin, it's funny. You and I have both been in comics for about 500 years. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, we remember not too long ago, you know, the 1990s, let's say, the early 2000s, where comics were still a little bit marginalized yeah. as a field of expression as a business and so it's amazing to be here 15 years into the new century and see that we're really at the heart of what's happening yeah. in entertainment in art in culture in education in education comics absolutely. are really are really pushing across that line as educators are starting to realize that this is really the ideal vehicle to to deliver information. Well, to now, now you're talking about the CBLDS bread and butter. Well, that's even better. <laughs> Actually, why don't you talk a little bit? I mean, you're at all of these shows. I know you yeah. must go to, what, 25, 30 shows a year, be, if be, not more? Yeah, <laughs> between, be, everybody yeah. at the fund, we, 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 we probably do about, uh, I, I last year did somewhere around 50 lectures. Um, yeah. We do a lot of shows, 30 maybe, 25. Yeah. We do a lot. Yeah. So uh, if, I'd love for you just to very briefly tell, tell uh, our audience what the CBLDF yeah. does, and what you do at shows like uh, the Mocha Arts. Yeah, you bet. Well, the Comic Book Legal Defense Fund is a nonprofit organization that protects the freedom to read comics. We've been around for almost 30 years, and in that time, we've done a lot of work to provide legal counsel and legal defense for individual retailers, artists, and, and recently readers that are facing legal prosecution. But over the last, I would say five to seven years, we've been doing a lot more proactive education yes. work, mm -hmm. particularly as this new world we're describing, where comics are central to the marketplace of ideas, more schools, more libraries mm -hmm. are getting involved with comics, and mm -hmm. there needs to be a higher level of guidance about what comics are to fight the challenges for the shock of the new, and the fund is help providing those resources. And so, you know, right now... We are doing a great deal of education publishing. We're just mm -hmm. going back to press this week on our Raising a Reader, How Comics and Graphic Novels yes. Can Help Your Kids Love to Read uh, resource, going back to press with another um, 30,000 pieces, which will cool. take us up to over 100,000 of mm -hmm. this out there, helping teachers learn how to use comics in their classroom. Mm -hmm. uh, but we're also, we just launched a new publication called the CBLDF Defender, which is a mm -hmm. quarterly news magazine that puts out there what's happening in yeah. censorship. And just in this cool. first issue alone, we're talking about fighting for love and rockets in New Mexico. Yeah. We're talking about a rash of challenges to Jillian and Mariko Tamaki's This One Summer. So we're seeing it. That's amazing. A book that's acclaimed. Um, I mean, they've won multiple awards. But, of course, this is what you deal with all the time. Great, really, uh, works of art that people are trying to have removed from libraries. Uh, it's... And for the most part, these people do mean well. Like, there really yeah. isn't a conspiracy yeah. of people that are going, ah, we're going to take the fun away, even though it seems that way. <laughs> yes. But, you know, in, in the case of this one summer, you know, you're, these are people that are saying, hey, this book deals with teen pregnancy and miscarriage, and I'm not comfortable having that conversation with my kid yet. And you know what? We respect that. You don't need to have it in your home. However, you can't make that choice for other parents exactly. in your community. Yes, exactly. And so it needs to be allowed to be there. And 
you know, when you're talking about a book like this one summer, this is a book that teachers are bringing into their classrooms because it allows them to use art to talk about things that are very common in the lives of young people. Mm -hmm. And I understand that life is uncomfortable, and I sure wouldn't yes. want to be a parent in the, in the world yeah. today, but art is actually a tool to assist in opening up minds to how to manage the world. And I think Jillian and Mariko do that magnificently in this book, and yeah. it's a real shame to see people saying this is not appropriate. Now, I will tell you, we've been involved in three challenges to the book in the last month. Every single one of those, the book has been retained. Right. Uh, we've created resources specifically for educators about this book, right. about how to add it to your collection, how right. to anticipate the concerns and how to answer them. And not every book is right for every household. We respect that. We're not saying that you must have this book in your home. You know, that would be fascism. Yeah. But it's also fascism to say you can't have this book in your home because it disagrees with my value system. Yeah. yeah. And, of course, you don't have it in your home. That doesn't mean that it shouldn't be in a library. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. You know, so, um, so when when you're here, I mean, obviously, uh, CBLDF has, has a booth, a setup, yeah. only at all of the major shows. What do you do when you're here at, the, at, at these shows? Well, it's a 50-50 it's a mix of in-booth education. Mm -hmm. So talking to people about what issues are happening in censorship and how they can be involved in their local community. Mm -hmm. And then the other half is fundraising. And the fund is really fortunate to have a broad range of supporters in the creative space, in the publisher space, who donate signed books that we then offer for, um, for in exchange for donations. So, you know, you can come to our booth, and I think we've still got a couple signed Neil Gaiman books yeah. that if you donate $40, then Usually, you can I mean, it. You, it seems you work with really almost every... Almost, you know, almost you know, every creator, acclaimed or under, even or uh, creator to be acclaimed. We're, we're really, yeah. we're really fortunate that we have such a broad base yeah. of support that that is a big umbrella for comics. From yeah, your stratospheric talents that have been putting in the time, like Jules Pfeiffer mm -hmm. or Neil Gaiman, to you know some more recent talent that is just doing really cool things mm -hmm. up and coming. You know, we're all about providing a big tent for folks to come together. Mm -hmm. And we're really grateful that people donate their art, donate their signed books, and that that creates a tool for people to come by and make a contribution to the cause and walk home with something pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think everyone recognizes that you're, you know, you're, you're not protecting just my book. You're really protecting, really across the board, people's right to read. The yeah, readers they choose. absolutely. So, um, so this is great. Well, um, on that note, what's your next show? Uh, what are you going to be doing next? I mean, will you, will you be at uh, Toronto at TKF? Yeah, so we, our next, um, the, the spring is a very busy time of year. Yeah, uh, that. We, we are, uh, Alex and I, Alex Cox is our deputy director. Mm -hmm. He does the CBLDF podcast, which we run every month. Um, he and I are both going to be at C2E2 in Chicago in, mm -hmm. I think, 10 days. Okay. Um, you and guys then, stay on the move. And then 10 days after that, I'm providing lectures at TCAF. Um, I'll be giving a presentation on their Educator Day and... Hypothetically, I'm moderating a panel on Saturday. But right, we'll uh, find out. To come. And I'm actually going to be at TCAP. This is Comics World. We had our first trip to Toronto. Nice. So I'll be up there as well. It's a great show. And then in May, we've got uh, Comic Palooza in Houston, mm -hmm. uh, Comic Con in Denver. And in July, or June rather, is um, Heroes Con, ALA mm -hmm. Annual, and then San Diego, yeah. the Sundance. Yeah. Now, you're going to be doing something. I don't know if I'm getting ahead of myself, but I know you're going to be doing something for Children's Book Week. You're working with the organization? or Sure, yeah. sure. Yeah, so Comic Book Legal Defense Fund, Diamond Comic Distributors, mm -hmm. and 
the Children's Book Council and Every Child a Reader have all come together to pre-create a comics focus in Children's Book Week, which is great. Yeah. So on Free Comic Book Day, May 2nd, that's going to be the official kickoff of Children's Book Week. So comic book stores are giving away millions of comics yeah. to kick off Children's Book Week. And then throughout the week, comic book stores around the country are going to be hosting Children's Book Week events. And so if you go to cbldf.org around the end of April, we'll actually have a directory of where you can go celebrate Children's Book Week with comics. All right. Sounds awesome. Charles, thanks so much. Thank uh, you, Cal. Always good to talk to you. And thanks for being on More to Come. My pleasure. Thank you.